Good morning. Good morning. I always like Jonathan's statement of faith. Who's going to preach God's word to us? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. How are you all? Good Christmas. Welcome back. I hope you were here last week because Jonathan's sermon was absolutely strategically significant. So if you didn't hear it, it's worth getting hold of and filling in the gaps with it. I'm going to try and work out from it this morning. And it was short, Clive. (laughs) (laughs) It was a a Christmas miracle at 10 minutes. (laughs) I've always had trouble with miracles like that. You have to remember that I come from a tradition where you preach for an hour. Uh, I avoid that here, but it was always fun because every Sunday was different. Uh, If you were in the free churches, it was an hour. If you were in the Pentecostal churches, it was 45 minutes. If you were in the Baptist churches, it was over an hour. And if you were in the Church of England, it was 20 to 25 minutes. And it's great because it was almost impossible to distinguish which one the Lord spoke more clearly through. <laughs> so, what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at the servant songs. And the servant songs you may not be familiar with, they're in, all in Isaiah. They're in chapter 49 to 50, uh, chapter 52 and 53. Um, 42, 49, 50, and 52 and 53. Most of us know the 52 and 53 one, because that's the suffering servant. 42 is the first one, and it starts with, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. And yet it is so strategic, so significant, and so important. That song is addressed to Israel, but the servant is the subject. And then it moves on to address to the servant with Israel overhearing. And then it comes to Israel from God himself. And the whole point of the servant's songs is they give a context and a message of what God is trying to do and what God is trying to say to his people. And we really struggle with that because we struggle to get hold of it and understand it. Part of our problem is we're not quite sure who the song is addressed to and who it's about. The general consensus of opinion is that it's about Israel. The alternative is it could be about King Cyrus, who was the, em- who was the head of the Persian Empire. The other is if you ever stand on a hill and you look out over a range of hills, you'll see that they kind of peak and then go down and peak and go down. And it's very like that when you're looking at prophecy in in Scripture. It hasn't got any one destination. There are a variety of destinations. That's what you've got with the servant songs. And so when you look at them, you recognize that ultimately it's going to be about Jesus. En route, it's going to be about the people of God. It's going to be about Israel. And possibly initially, it's going to have a short-term historical application. So we're never quite sure 
where it's going. And when you look at chapter 42, yes, it's got an application to Cyrus. It's got an application to Israel. Ultimately, it will apply to Jesus. But what it's really to do with is the people of God in the interregnum. And that's where Jonathan was going last Sunday. He was basically saying, we have a calling to be the voice and the people of God, the reality of the message of Jesus here in Daniel Island. That what we have here is to be the voice and purpose of God here in this place. And whether or not things are communicated will ultimately not be down to the clergy, with all respect. It will ultimately not be down to the media or what comes through from other purposes. Ultimately, the communication of the gospel of the kingdom is down to the people of God. It's down to how we live and who we are. Because church is not what you're sitting in. Church is who you are. I used to try to demonstrate that to my people uh, up in Connecticut by kicking the furniture. <laughs> Some of them found that quite objectionable. <laughs> they thought that the senior pastor was trying to wreck what they'd given a lot of money sacrificially to get hold of. No, I'm not being rude about it, but it is only furniture. And what you're sitting on is furniture, and what you're sitting in is only a building. Now, if I kicked you, that would be another thing entirely. Because you are the church of Jesus. You are the people of God. You are the living, talking, walking, breathing demonstration of the kingdom of God here on earth. The rest is just the trappings of it. You are the real thing. And so when you come down to the servant, the servant is us revealing the king who we love and who we serve. What happens in Daniel Island will not be down to Jonathan, for whom I have the utmost respect, but he is only the messenger. It will ultimately be down to us, who we are, what we do, how we live, how we care for the people around us, what message we take over and bring about. When Kendall does theology on tap, uh, later this week? Yeah. Next, 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 the, next Wednesday. A week, a week on Wednesday. What he does is not really that significant. What you do is critical. What he does introduces what you do. And that's what's so important for all of us, that we realize we're the people of the kingdom, the servant of the Lord. And it's a pretty heavy weight that we bear, and yet it's glorious, because what God does, he does through his people. So that's really where we're going today, is the servant king, and what it means to serve the servant. The servant who God chooses. The reality is that you are a chosen people. That you were chosen and drawn to the Lord that he might take hold of you and use you. 
Now, this is where we get into real trouble because most Christians believe that God has chosen them to bless them. That's not true. It's only half the story. God's chosen you to bless you in order that you may be a blessing. It's not about what we do for us. It's about what he does through us. That we are actually here to be blessed by God, that we may be a blessing to our community. And what God does in Daniel Island will be down to how much we allow him to use us. And those he's given us to shepherd us and encourage us, well, they have a major part in that. But so do we. And it's great to recognize that God has chosen you to be his servants and corporately to be his servant who he has chosen for this place. Isn't that encouraging? Mm -hmm. And isn't it daunting too when you realize that we are the servant that God chooses? And God takes hold of us and blesses us to make us a blessing. If you read in Genesis chapter 12, you get the way that God takes Abraham, blesses Abraham to make him a blessing. It's all about how he's going to bless other people through you and me. This is when we get into trouble, you see, because we say this is God's place and we are God's people because of how we get blessed. Uh-uh because of how God blesses other people through us. That's why you can tell how much a church is being blessed and used by God by the number of people who are coming to faith. Oh, that hurts. Oh, I thought it was about me. No, it's not. It's also about the way that we pray and we live, and we serve. It's what God does in us and through us. It's how God blesses people through us. And that's why I so love saying to people, you are no more and no less than a drain pipe. <laughs> and you are a divine drain pipe. God takes you so that he can pour his spirit in one end, and it comes out undiluted the other end. That's what we're here for, for God to take hold of us, for God to use us, for God to bless us, for God to speak to people through us. And that's what the servant of the Lord is. And that's what the message here is going to be. It's all about how God brings light in the darkness through you and me and how God reveals who he is through you and me. Isn't that glorious? I had real problems in a church uh, that I was pastoring some years ago uh, because within that church we had a guy who was a bit of a hoodlum. Now I need to explain, this is London, so you're going to get some English. Forgive me for that. The guy was a villain. In other words, he lived his life on the wrong side of the law. And great guy, John Superman, but he really didn't do it all right. And he met Jesus. And he also had a car crash. The car crash damaged his faculties. Meeting Jesus 
restored his spiritual life. And it was incredible to look at John and to realize the mix that this guy was. He couldn't speak properly, so he stuttered. But he loved Jesus with all his heart. Which did kind of give him a problem because he really wanted God to use him, but he couldn't communicate. So John would turn up on our doorstep and we would get a... And it was John McArdle. And the message would always be the same. Could I have a cup of tea? Why is it that the British find that a cup of tea is the answer to everything? (laughs) And so John would be invited in and would be given this cup of tea. And he would say, I've got a message from God for you. And the message from God, because he couldn't say it, he'd have written it down on some scrap of paper. And he'd pull this dirty scrap of paper um, out of his pants pocket and present it to you. And it would always be a couple of verses of scripture. Now, what made this uncanny was that the guy got it right every time. If you said, John is coming around with a word from God for you, it would be exactly what you needed. It would be dead on. And it was just magnificent how this man did it time after time after time. Until God came to us one day and said the one thing that Ruth never wanted God to say to us, which is, you're leaving Britain. Mm. And the accompaniment, you're going to America. Mm. (laughs) Which was not in Ruth's agenda. And John brought accompanying words from the Lord, from Scripture. Now this again is very unfair. Because if someone brings you a word from God, you can normally argue with it. But if it's from the Bible, it's very difficult to take issue with it. You get clergy on your back if you do that. So there we go. Word from God, straight from Scripture. And he reels these out. It was amazing. This guy, most people thought, was absolutely worthless. A villain couldn't string two words together. And yet he produced the word of the Lord time and time again, simply by writing out a verse of scripture and giving it to you. Why am I saying that to you? Well, because you're the servant God chooses. You don't have to be tremendously verbally gifted. You don't have to be theologically trained and qualified. You don't have to be greatly gifted in the things that you do. You just have to be ready for God to use you. Open for him to fulfill his purpose for you. Ready to be his servant. And that's what these verses in Isaiah are all about. Ready to be the messenger. Malachi opens up the last book of the Old Testament with the fact that Malachi is God's messenger. And the servant is God's messenger. You have a very simple purpose for your living. You are called to be God's messenger here in Daniel Island. You are called to live the life of Jesus while you're here and wherever else he puts you. And you're called to convey biblical truth in order that God may revolutionize this place this community and everyone around you 
with the love of God. In other words, God has chosen you to be a revolutionary, to bring the life of Jesus in every sense of the word. You're the servant God chooses, but you're then also the servant God changes. You don't stay as you are. Because if we're normal, we look at ourselves and say, well, how can God have chosen us? What good are we? I mean, there's many other more qualified and capable people than us. So why would God choose us and use us? Well, the answer again is very straightforward. God does that because nobody else would. Because then he gets the glory and the credit. You don't. And that's as it should be too. It's really important that God gets the glory for what he does in you and through you. So when God uses you in a particular way, just be very careful to give him the glory. I always think it just shows the Lord's got a sense of humor. If he uses people like you and me, he's got to have a sense of humor. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm trying to recognize that this is divine work in progress and that God is at work and that the divine justice that the Messiah brings in the person of the servant is something that we would not be able to conjure up, arms, uh, up ourselves, but he loves coming and doing in us and through us. You would be amazed at how God uses you. My old friend John at that church in London was staggered when at the end of our time there, I took time in a sermon to say that I thought he was probably the clearest exposition of the love of Jesus in the lives of the people. Because he would never have believed that of himself. But to say it in front of everybody else made him realize that God loves taking ordinary people and making them extraordinary. Look at the kind of disciples Jesus chose. It just shows you exactly the same principle, that he takes ordinary people to be his servants. These ordinary people will be the servants who will discriminate in favor of the poor, work in ways that we would never have chosen for ourselves, and bring about what we could never do in our strength and power, but he can do in us and through us. I mean, if you're going to choose Charleston for God to work in, would you choose Daniel Island as a hallmark for what God could do? But you see, that means it's almost certain that he has that in mind. He chose a Nazareth, which no one else would have touched with a 10-foot pole. He chose a Bethlehem that nobody else would have dreamed could be the birthplace of the Messiah. That's God at work. You look at Daniel Island, that's exactly the kind of place God works. Because then he gets the glory, he gets the credit, and people like you and I who would never believe we could be used by God are there to be his servants. How does he do that? He changes us first and makes us usable equips us to do things that we would never have dreamed we could do. So get ready. 
Because it's all about life transform, life transforming activity of a living God. When God takes you, blesses you, uses you, gives you opportunities you'd never have chosen, probably would never have wanted, and then gets glory to his name in you and through you. That's the kind of God he is. But then it's not just that we're the servant God changes. We are the servant that God charges. God gives us a job to do and tells us to get on with it. I have a friend. I still have one or two left on this matter. I have a friend in Southeast Asia. And this friend is not Asian, she's Dutch. She's six foot two inches tall and female, six foot two, lives in Cambodia. Now, why would that make her distinctive? <laughs> you got it. She's at least six inches taller than anyone else who is female in Cambodia. And God sent her there to be a nurse. And this, we're going back about 20 years. Her name's Yoka. J-O-K-E, and she's a joke. <laughs> because it's just so unlikely that God would take someone like that. And God took Yoka, sent her to Cambodia as a nurse, and started to use her. She was so effective that the government closed the roads when Yoka wanted to use them for health training because she saved the lives of so many other people. And she worked so strategically, she loved Jesus desperately, so she wouldn't just work with health training, she'd also introduce principles of spiritual life. And she would teach the people about the God who loved them. And the, when I joined uh, the work of World Relief as their somewhat innocent president, because I didn't know what I was getting into, I was sent to Cambodia, and some of my staff said, you're going to have a bit of a surprise, boss, when you get there. Well, my surprise was Yoka, because she was about the only non-Khmer, non-Cambodian on the staff. And they hadn't just been working saving people's lives physically, they had been planting churches. They had planted 500 churches in seven years. Now, I don't know if you've, how, how many of you have ever heard of Cambodia? <laughs> so if I said Pol Pot, would you know who that was? So Pol Pot committed genocide was the dictator, and when he'd finished, there were two evangelical clergy left alive living in Cambodia. I mean, it really was genocide. Yoka ends up in Cambodia a handful of years later and starts bringing people to Jesus and planting churches. 500 churches later in seven years. Can you imagine what that does? 
Can you imagine the, the, the plague of people who are meeting Christ and surrendering their lives to Jesus? And Yoka had a very simple principle. If you weren't Khmer, Cambodian, she wouldn't allow you in the church. She wouldn't go herself. Because she knew that the people would push back at you because of your great money and your great academic learning. And she wanted to create an indigenous church for the Khmer people. Khmer is almost impossible to learn as a Westerner. She learned it and can speak it like a native. And she trained the Khmer. She would have them on Tuesday, train them up for Sunday service. And the numbers of people meeting Christ, everything, it was just a revolution that was happening. And it was incredible. What that lady achieved, because God charged his servant, gave her a job to do, and she got on with it. Lovely story. I could take you today and show you the results of what that lass has done, which have transformed that society. The one thing, of course, that she couldn't have was the one thing she wanted, a husband. Because everybody was six inches <laughs> shorter. So what did God do? In the end, after all these years, I, Ruth and I got this message. Can you come to my wedding? Because in a few months' time, she's getting married. I just think it is incredible what God does. The servant God chooses, who he can use, who we would never choose. The servant God changes and makes what we need to be so God can use us. The servant God charges and gives us a job to do. And our job is to bring justice to the earth and light to the nations and to bring transformation. And then the servant God challenges. This is what he has in mind. This is what he intends. Now, God has a purpose for Daniel Island. He wants to change it. God's got a purpose for the people around here. He wants them to meet him. God's got an intention for his church. He wants to make us a praying community who are so dedicated and committed to prayer and to his word that we start to believe him for what he can do and what he will do. God intends to take ordinary people to make them his servants, set them on fire with his love and his grace and use us to see a community transformed. I have a very simple prayer. Lord, come and change a little bit of this world with the love of Jesus. And the little bit of this world that he's put us in is Daniel Island. We are the people. We are the servant. This is what we're here for. This is what God wants to do. Have you got it? It's as simple as that. God wants to make us his servant. Now, let me just explain. You don't have to do it. He's going to do it through you. You don't have to be special. He just needs to be special in you. 
You don't need to be as you are. You just have to let him change you and make you all you need to be. And he just does the challenging and directs us and directs the traffic, and it happens. Now, I've got one or two friends here who are saying, it's not just about Daniel Island. Fine, you can include Sullivan's Island if you've got a bigger vision. <laughs> you can make it Charleston if you want. I'm just saying that God wants a people who will be set on fire with his love and grace, anointed and prepared, and used to change their world. I just wanted to say, this is what Jonathan was saying last week, just in case we didn't get it, I wanted to repeat it, that God wants us to recognize our destiny, to recognize his purpose, to know what he's got us here for. Not that we might be happy people, but that we might be holy people, changing our world with the love of Jesus and letting him come and work through you and me to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen.